this has the, the opportunity for the greatest turnaround in college football exists here today, and it's not one to be taken lightly. will field it at the 5, to the 10, pass the numbers to the 20, 25, look out, 30. He's at the 40, to the midfield strike, to the 40, down the far sideline, 10, 5, to the house, Wildcat touchdown for Tremaine Thompson. Welcome to Bring on the Podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. Welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. KSU Ma is with us here today. How are you doing, KSU? Doing great. How are you, Luke? Doing all right. Doing all right. And our guest today is to talk some Mississippi State football. K-State's first, well, what, what should have been K-State's first big close game of the year is <laughs> Brett Hudson. Brett, how are you? Oh, y'all are, y'all are taking that well, I see. <laughs> Everything is fine. Nothing is burning. Everything is perfectly okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so real quick before we, we talk football, I know uh, there's a lot more important things happening in Manhattan with all, with all flooding going on, so you know, thinking about those people, uh, there's a student number to call if, you, if you're a student having issues, it's 785-395-7233, hope everybody you know is okay finding safe places to go, I know there's been a lot of, I think I saw there even some rescues and stuff going on, a lot of people losing cars and, and whatnot, so hope everybody's staying safe, but you know, there will be a football game next Saturday. Get the nice 11 a.m. kickoff. You know, it seems like K-State always gets those. But you know, Mississippi State, while K-State was struggling with South Dakota, Mississippi State looked pretty good, pretty much had it on cruise control the whole game. So, you know, Brad was saying that they've got every reason to be overconfident. Can we hope for that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. They feel pretty good about themselves because the, the one – prevailing question about this team coming in with wide receiver and they threw for 300 something yards and five touchdowns a lot of wide receivers looked really good they spread 15 completions through 12 guys I mean Osiris Mitchell caught like five passes last year and in that game against Stephen F. Austin he had two catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns I mean just little things like that throughout the receiving core Uh, so if you're if you're looking for for overconfidence, there's definitely reason to believe that might be the case from the players. Now, this coaching staff is very level-headed. They aren't the emotional kind of coaching staff. There are a couple emotional characters on the staff, probably Mark Hudspeth being the most in, in that regard. But Joe Moorhead is a super calm, collected person. Most of his offensive staff is as well. So they're, they're definitely going to get the message. It's just a matter of if they listen to it or not. Yeah, yeah. Not good about the wide receivers <laughs> for case, from a case standpoint. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're didn't look good this weekend. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of raw talent there that remains unproven because that was an FCS team. But uh, I mentioned uh, Osiris Mitchell. The big one is Stephen Guidry. Uh, he was the number one junior college wide receiver 
in the nation in some recruiting rankings. He, he came to Mississippi State. Uh, he was a highly touted prospect. And he's got he's got all the tools, but he only had one catch. He was only targeted maybe two or three times against Stephen F. Austin. So he's unproven. And frankly, you could say that about most of the receiving core. I mean, when, when I came into this season, I looked at Osiris Mitchell, at Austin Williams, at Stephen Guidry, and at Devontae Wap-Jason as probably the guys that had the most talent on this receiving core. And none of them played last year, except for Osiris Mitchell, who caught five passes. So that's, that's the thing with this receiving core. It's, it's a lot of potential, but none of it is proven. Right, yeah, you mentioned uh, Devontae Jason. He was interesting to me because he uh, made these brilliant decisions to decommit from Kansas last December. I'm sure he was feeling really, really good about that on Saturday. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, is he the kind of guy that can kind of give them the explosive threat they need? Do they have that somewhere? Because it seemed like that was something that was really lacking last season. Yeah, no, that's that's spot on. They they just did not have that last year. Even even the the two wide receivers that got hurt, they weren't really the explosive threat from last year. So this was a team that didn't really have it last year, and then lost two of their their best receivers. So they they desperately need that. This year, he actually didn't play much against Stephen F. Austin because Stephen Guidry was in the game so much. But they, they definitely have those guys now. Austin Williams can be that guy from the slot, as can Dedrick Thomas. Stephen Guidry can be that. Osiris Mitchell can be that. If Jamal Couch plays in this game, he didn't against Stephen F. Austin for reasons we don't know. Uh, he could be that even jesse jackson could be that so that the the whole deep ball thing which moorhead is going to do that, that is part of his offense always has been probably always will be that's kind of an extension of this entire receiving core there's potential but we haven't seen it actually happen yet so you can't bank on it until you've seen it that's where mississippi state is with with the wide receiving core there's a lot of excitement about what happened against Stephen F. Austin but it was Stephen F. Austin I think the rational sex of this fan base will realize that this is much more of a proving ground kind of moment for that group than, than Stephen F. Austin was yeah well the other thing we haven't even mentioned is that they did all those you know they had all those numbers with their backup quarterback in there the well, Nick, Nick Fitzgerald is suspended uh, is there any kind of QB controversy or is Nick still pretty solidly in there as a starter yeah, they, they've said that, that Nick will be back for this game, so he'll be a starter. But, yeah, Keaton Thompson isn't your your average backup quarterback either. That guy can, can sling it all over the place. He was actually high school teammates with WAP, so they kept it together from, from New Orleans to Starkville. But, yeah, I think for all the attention paid to the wide receivers, and rightfully so, I mean, I've, I've, I think Nick Fitzgerald is one on, on this team because, I mean, let's just – let's not – was not mince words. He wasn't a great passer last year. Part of that is his wide receiving core wasn't great, but also he he had times where he he struggled with accuracy. Now the the new quarterbacks coach in town, Andrew Briner, has a good reputation with throwing mechanics and how quarterbacks can improve their accuracy. So there's a lot of kind of inside the program buzz that Nick Fitzgerald is a drastically improved passer. For what he has been the last two years that he's starting, it's unfortunate that the, the public didn't get to see that against Stephen F. Austin. But now <laughs> Nick Fitzgerald has to prove it on the road in the Power Five against the Power Five defense. Is he a truly revamped passer in, in terms of accuracy? That's that's the biggest question that he has to answer. And, and they say that it's answered, so he, he better prove it 
against Kansas State. Yeah, well, I think I, I would be a little little skeptical. I'm always a little skeptical as a K-State fan of when coaches say QBs have improved their, their accuracy. We <laughs> we know a little bit about those issues. I guess you well, actually, so, like, real quick, talking about the K-State quarterbacks, do you know how the K-State coaches could, could look at that game tape and say that, that the quarterbacks were about the same? Does that make any sense? I mean, I don't think they should be looking at the game tape at all because it <laughs> makes everybody cry. No, I, I mean, I think somebody pointed out on our comment section or somewhere I was reading that Thompson is clearly a rhythm quarterback, mm-hmm. and he's not. you can tell he's not built for the in-and-out, back-and-forth games that happened in game one. And there was a throw, I think, to Dalton Schoen with an interception to Dalton that was clearly on Dalton, yeah. not on Skyler, that throw alone, Dalton cannot make that throw, period. And, and that's a sure touchdown if Dalton catches it. And that's, I think, the quarterback play you need. You just got to give the guy the chance to get in rhythm and build that up. And this, I mean, we're, we're sad. This play calling was supposed to be different, and I don't know if it's that much different this season. And if it's going to stay the same, then Dalton, I mean, I don't know if Dalton's the guy that you got to go with, but at least they can move the ball on the ground with the quarterback run. <laughs> Unless you're going to give Thompson the time to to get in there and get his reps and get rhythm, yeah. but the kids what five fourth quarter comebacks? He's the new John Elway, man. He's a comeback <laughs> yeah. kid. Yeah, I mean, you would think <laughs> by now that the, the K State coaches would realize that the two quarterback thing doesn't work especially well. But, Not know. if they're continuing to run the quarter the system that they want to run. If you're right. going to change your system to run it, you know, to maximize the efficiency of both quarterbacks, yeah. I think maybe there's a possibility of that. But but the way they're running it, the plug and play, we're just going to swap in in and out. Players, we saw this with Daniel Sams and, and Jake Waters. It didn't work, and I even made the joke last night that oh, it's Sams time. Oh, I mean, it's Dalton time when <laughs> Dalton came in, and it, it kind of held true to form. Yeah, but yeah, enough about uh, all that positive talk about uh, Kansas State. Let's go back to, to Mississippi State. <laughs> well, I had a question for Brett on the on the quarterback side of things. If Nick comes in and struggles, is there a chance that he, is it Keaton Thompson um, yeah. would be would be pulled off the bench and sent in to salvage the game if, if it goes bad in the beginning for, for Nick? That's a good question. I don't anticipate that being the case. I think Joe Moorhead and Andrew Briner and the offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, really liked what they saw out of Nick in spring and in the preseason. There isn't a shadow of doubt cast upon him. And, and that's another thing about the uh, about the Stephen Austin game. The, the num- some of the numbers look really good, throwing for – almost 400 yards and throwing for five touchdowns. And Keaton ran for two more. He was responsible for seven touchdowns in that game, which tied an SEC record. But he also only completed like 41% of his passes. He started the second half with eight straight incompletions. State had to punt like three times to start the second half against an FCS team because he just could not hit to start the the second half. So I think that the yardage and the touchdown – totals kind of suggest one thing and the completion percentage suggests another obviously the truth always lies within the middle but this isn't a situation i mean this isn't like what they're dealing with in alabama right now right where you have the proven starter who clearly has his flaws and this young backup has everything that the starter doesn't have this isn't one of those scenarios Uh, they're very similar players are very similar skill sets particularly as as passers they're a little bit different as runners, but particularly as passers, they have very similar skill sets. And, and Nick has been starting for two years, uh, and, and Keaton has started twice 
there's a lot of confidence within the program that Nick Fitzgerald is the guy. And I would imagine that two or three stops right out the gate is not going to be enough to convince them to sit him. Yeah. And one of the things when you read about the Joe Moorhead offense, is there's a lot of talk about just how much freedom he gives his quarterbacks you know, as far as the run pass options. And it seems like Nick's kind of the perfect guy for that. You know, so if K-State does decide to, hey, we, we got to stop his running game, you know, how good is he at, at reading the defenses and, and being able to exploit that? Oh, he's, he's very good at that because a lot of that is very, very similar to what Dan Mullen did. He, I mean, a lot of the reads that he makes in the Joe Moorhead offense are, are very similar to the ones he made in the Dan Mullen offense, particularly in the run game, because both of those systems are, are zone option-based systems. And actually, Nick has kind of a diverse background in terms of post-snap reads because he's, he's done the zone option stuff. He's also done a lot of QB power and QB lead and stuff like that. So he, he had to read those kinds of things. And Dan Mullen is a little more pro-style in terms of his uh, read Test system for his quarterbacks. His quarterbacks have to diagnose defenses more like NFL quarterbacks than Joe Moorhead quarterbacks do. Joe Moorhead quarterbacks really diagnose things very quickly and get the ball out of their hands very quickly. It's very easy system to read. And Nick, Nick even said that. He said that the reads are simpler and they make more sense to him than the Dan Mullen offense did. So I, I would say that post-snap read-wise – Nick Fitzgerald is as prepared as one can possibly be for a first year in, in a Joe Moorhead system. Mm-hmm. And then I guess another big question is, is one we always ask of, of Kansas State quarterbacks, you know, especially in light of that uh, ugly injury that, that ended last season and got some pretty good running backs. You know, do you expect Joe Moorhead to maybe lessen the workload a little bit? This is a guy that, that carried 162 times last year, 195 times the year before. Do you really want to do that with a senior quarterback who's coming off a nasty injury? Oh, I don't think that Nick is going to run nearly as many times as he did last year on, on a per-game basis for, for two reasons. One, Dan Mullen is a big designed QB run guy. It goes all the way back to his days, his first days at Florida, back when he was Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator. I mean, if you go third and two, in a damn ball in offense, it's, it's almost guaranteed. It's it's a designed quarterback run. It's probably going to be power, and it's probably going to be to the right side. That's what Dan Mullen does. Joe Moorhead's offense, you don't you don't see designed quarterback runs as often as you do with Dan because when Joe has a mobile quarterback like he had in Trace McSorley, like he currently has in both Nick Fitzgerald and, and Keaton Thompson, he trusts the framework of his offense to get those guys involved enough times to be dangerous he's truly very simple in that he he takes what the defense gives you that's what all of these rpos are are based on right it's it's Mm -hmm. putting the ball where the defense isn't uh and if a defense allows a quarterback to run free then the by god joe's gonna let him and if a defense doesn't allow a quarterback to run free that means that there are going to be holes elsewhere he trusts the quarterback to put the ball in those holes so i don't think nick is going to run as much, but I do think it's going to be there if Kansas State eventually gets tired of people like Kylan Hill and Eris Williams busting big carries on him and they leave openings for, for Nick Fitzgerald to, to exploit. That will definitely happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was hard to tell, I think, from the game against South Dakota, there wasn't a run game, wasn't much there for South Dakota. 
And I don't think K-State got tested a lot there. Clearly the passing was for South Dakota. So it'll be interesting to see how, what Blake Siler's game plan is for Mississippi State and how they come out against either the quarterback run or if they're focusing more on the running backs. Yeah. And how, how do they split the, the carries between the Aris Williams and Kyler Hill? I mean, is Aris the number one guy there? Actually, Kylan got the start. That was kind of the, I mean, I don't want to say a surprise because, you know, fans love nothing more in this world than recruiting rankings or, well, SEC fans love nothing in the world. <laughs> yeah, we hate them. So, yeah, yeah we, don't talk, we don't talk recruiting rankings. Yeah, I, I just realized I brought up recruiting rankings on the Kansas State podcast. I should take a lot for that. Uh, but, Unless you're talking about walk on recruiting rankings. <laughs> SEC fans love nothing more than <laughs> Kylan Hill with a very highly rated recruit uh, coming out of Columbus High School, half an hour away. So naturally, fans were really excited about him. They wanted to see him. He got the start against Stephen F. Falls, and he performed pretty well. I actually, when I watched the game back, I kind of kept a loose track of snap count for, for those two guys. And, and the numbers – suggested Eris was fairly on the field and the Kylan hmm. was on it a lot. I mean, Kylan had nine carries for 50 yards and Eris had two carries for 15. But the snap count was actually pretty similar. It just happened to be that the play calling went more towards pass when Eris was on the field than it did when, when Kylan was on the field. And I think a lot of that was because in the beginning, Stephen F. Austin was giving Mississippi State opportunities to run, and then when Kylan Hill finally got tired, he came off the field at the same time that Stephen F. Austin said, hey, we got to stop these guys from running. That's when Mississippi State went to the pass, just as Harris Williams was, was getting onto the field. So to, to answer your question, Kylan Hill was technically the starter, or he was last week, but the, the snap count was actually pretty comparable, and I would imagine that it's going to be that way. I personally think Kylan is a little more talented than Eris is, to be fair, but I don't know that it's going to be a drastic drop-off. Actually, I know it won't be from, from Kylan Hill to Eris Williams, and even to the number three, Nick Gibson. He's a really good pass catcher out of the backfield, and he's a very strong runner. Uh, he's not a 245-pound bowling ball, but he's not afraid to bow up to, to an outside linebacker either. So this running back core can go three deep without the slightest drop-off. And you mentioned the pass catch, you know, I mean, obviously that's something that Moorhead used a lot at Penn State with Saquon Barkley, and none of those guys at Saquon Barkley, but, you know, how much do you expect them to get involved in, in the passing game? A lot. I mean, the, the first play of the game was a swing screen to Kylan Hill that he took 53 yards for a touchdown. Eris Williams had a 27-yard touchdown grab. Nick Gibson caught a pass for nine yards. They're definitely going to be involved that way because another tenant of this RPO system is attacking all parts of the field that's why joe moorhead really values going deep and testing teams deep because you're gonna force teams to defend all 53 and a third yards horizontally by running so much outside run and running so many screens you're gonna force them to do that you want to force them vertical you want to make them think about defending 20 25 yards down the field so that some of that underneath stuff comes open and when you're getting bombed on, like Stephen F. Austin was Saturday. There's going to be some opportunities to go underneath, and that's when running backs come into this. So they're they're very much incorporated into the, the pass game because it's another thing for opposing defenses to take into account, not only in their scouting report, but in how they distribute defenders 
on a snap by snap basis. I mean, if you're forced to defend so many square yards of field, you only have 11 guys to do that. There are areas you aren't going to be able to cover. And, and Joe Moorhead is going to put someone in those areas that you can't cover, be it a running back, a tight end, or a wide receiver. He doesn't seem to have a preference. Well, I guess while we're talking about running backs, Kashima, I mean, did it surprise you that K-State stayed with Alex Barnes so much? You know, we barely saw Justin Stillman. Warmack got, got a few plays, but I mean, I remember a time when a K-State running back fumbles twice. He's not getting a chance for a third one in that game. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> Absolutely flabbergasted, especially after number two rolled out of bounds. I literally sat in my living room and said, Alex Barnes needs to sit on the sideline for a while so he can figure out how to apply stick him on his hands correctly. I mean, I love the kid. He's a good player, and he's he's not had fumble problems in the past, but it's very uncharacteristic for a K-State player to be allowed the opportunity to give away the ball. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you, Skylar Thompson went to the bench after an interception. Alex did, though I will say, uncharacteristically, both Alex Delton and Alex Barnes saw the field after turnovers because Delton threw the interception and then went right back out in the second half. So maybe they just don't a lot of trust in the backups. I don't know. But I was a little surprised by that. Warmack in I think his first carry or relatively one of his first carries even had a, a pretty decent chunk of yards uh, also. So it's a little strange, I think. Maybe they're trying to feature more of Alex Barnes this year, let him play through it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, but switch gears a little bit. You know, we talked about the Mississippi State offense. That sounds pretty scary, but what, what seems even more scary to me at this point is is that defensive line from Mississippi State. I mean, I think I've heard it said, you know, the best defensive line outside of Clemson in the country. You know, how concerned should, should K-State be by that group? They should be very concerned about, about this defensive line. This, this defensive line is football porn. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons in, in the middle is incredible. He's going to be, well, he, he had some off-field issues coming out of a uh, out of high school, so it's hard to really project his uh, draft status. But on the edge, Montez Sweat, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's, he's just that good. I mean, he's one of the, the best sack artists in the SEC, and he's not half bad against the run. Either Jeffrey Simmons on the inside is, is really good, and this thing goes three, two, three deep. I mean, there's, there's a defensive end backing up Montez Sweat named Chauncey Rivers. Some of y'all's Listeners may remember him from the final season of Last Chance U that was at East Mississippi College. He was prominently featured in that. I mean, he's he's backing up Montez Sweat. He would probably be the unquestioned starter at about 115 other FBS programs in America. But here, he's behind Montez Sweat, and he's a very obvious number two. And there are stories like that throughout this defensive line. You look at Kobe Jones and Marquis Spencer – on the other side of the edge. I mean, Corey Thomas is back in the fold. He's going to fit into the interior somewhere. Trey Brown is an underrated interior guy. There's, there's so much depth there that this, I think you mentioned Clemson earlier. This is a Clemson Alabama like defensive line where it's the third quarter. It's the fourth quarter. Most defensive lines wear down a little bit. This one doesn't because they've been rotating 12, 13 guys into the game all game. And they're perfectly fresh in, in the fourth quarter, whereas yours probably aren't. They're one of the very few in the nation that, that has that luxury. Clemson, Alabama, Mississippi State, that, that's probably – that very well could be the end of the list. I'm sure there are others in places like Auburn and Ohio State, maybe even Washington. But otherwise, I mean, it's truly rarefied air that this Mississippi State defensive line is in. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, and, you, and you didn't you didn't mention at least I didn't hear Corey Thompson Thomas who was out game one. Yeah, yeah. expected to be, have an impact on K State. Oh yeah, he'll he'll be a depth piece on the inside. Uh, he was much like Nick Fitzgerald out one game for a violation of team rules. He'll factor into the interior rotation somewhere. He'll he'll definitely be involved. He'll he'll be behind the the front line of Jeffrey Simmons and Braxton Coyette on the inside. Yeah, and so if. Case they can find a way to, to block those guys and get a little bit of time, is, and and then maybe find a way to throw some some accurate passes. Is is that maybe the weakness of this defense, the secondary? Because it seemed like that was the that was the issue last year. Corner is is probably it because safety safety is awesome. Jonathan Abram did awesome. Mark McLaurin is awesome. Mark McLaurin picked off Lamar Jackson three times in yeah. in the Tax Slayer Bowl. They're back. They've got a nickel Brian Cole who is also at EMCC with uh, Chauncey Rivers. He's he's incredible. Cornerback is is the weakness. Uh, I, I thought Cameron Dantzler, the starting corner, played really well against Stephen F. Austin. Uh, Jamal Peters kind of had a hot and cold kind of game, but corner is definitely the place to attack right now because last year they played for Todd Grantham. They pressed. They were in guys' face on every single snap. That's what they did. That was basically their only responsibility. Bob Shoup, their current defensive coordinator, he's a little more varied. He's not afraid to let corners play off coverage, drop into zone, and see if they can jump a slant to get an interception. They're clearly still kind of working out some of the kinks in that. That was another thing I noticed when I watched the Stephen F. Austin game back a second time. There are definitely some kinks in, in the cornerback area at, at the moment. They're talented. I don't think those kinks will last for long, but, I mean, there's every reason to, to believe that it could last for the Kansas State game since this is week two. Uh, so if, if you're going to attack this Mississippi State secondary, it needs to be at corner because if you're throwing at Mark McLaurin and Jonathan Abram, you're, you're, uh, you're playing with fire, and that is if they aren't blitzing you and attacking your quarterback in the first place. Mississippi State sure loves to bring the safeties. Right, and you talk about that, and that's a little bit surprising to hear with a defensive line so good that they were apparently really aggressive last season. I mean, you expect them to get any more conservative this year, let the big guys up front do the work and, and not take as many risks? Or do you go, I mean, I expected it, but, I mean, and, and also it's, it's hard to, to be equally as aggressive as Todd Grantham. That's a, that's a pretty tough trick to pull. But based on game one, Bob Shoup is, is right there. He does it in different ways. Todd Grantham would bring his nickel or maybe one safety sometimes and also incorporate the linebackers. Uh, but Bob Shoup really likes to use the linebackers in, in drop coverage and, and bring safety nickels on blitzes. I, I guess I would say his is more varied than Todd Grantham's system was. So, I mean, I, I personally thought, they were going to rush forward, let the defensive line do the work, maybe bring a linebacker every now and then. But that was definitely not the case. They brought heat a lot against Stephen F. Austin, and, and I would imagine they'll do the same against Kansas State, if, if nothing else, just out of respect for Dalton Risner and that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, I may not think that if they watched the film from last Saturday. As <laughs> you say, those guys, I think they thought they were just going to walk in the stadium and dominate South Dakota. Mm-hmm. But, they really do. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know about you guys. It, it's still, I'm getting used to this whole t- talking highlight of, Miss, of Mississippi State's defense because it seems like, I mean, even in their best years with Dak there, it seemed like he needed to put up 40 for them to get the big wins. I mean, is that something? Is the culture changing there? Is it, is it 
strange to have a good defense in Starkville? No, that's that's a good observation. Um, I don't know how much of that is a product of being under a person who's known as a quarterback whisperer for nine years. Maybe that kind of what brought about the culture of being a, an offense first kind of team around here. But the, the defensive talent, I mean, we've, we've just spent probably 10 minutes talking about it. The defensive talent speaks for itself at this point. And, I mean, that's a good observation. I do think that for all of the, uh, I guess, the expectations and the hype around a Joe Moorhead offense, and it's well-deserved. Look at his track record. It, it speaks for itself. I think people are excited about this defense because it's kind of proven. They don't worry about the defense. They just assume that it's going to be a top-20 defense. And, and I try to pump the brakes on that a little bit because being a top-20 defense, even with top-20 defensive talent, is hard just because playing defense in 2018 is hard. But at the same time, that's no reason to believe that they can't be a top-20 defense. The talent is right there for the taking, and it's there with all three levels. We, we've already talked about the D-line and, and the secondary. I mean, they, they did lose a pretty important senior linebacker in Des Harris, but the guy they replaced him with was on the all-SEC freshman team last year, Errol Thompson, and then they got a, a transfer from junior college by way of Florida State to Mark Hilby Lane. He's involved now, plus Leo Lewis and uh, Willie Gay returning. So they've, they've got dudes at all three levels. This defense is set for this year. It'll be it'll be a pretty big overhaul after this year, I think, but that doesn't help Kansas State now. It'll help them when they come here in 2019, but cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, I don't know. From a Big 12 perspective, it almost reminds me of, of Texas Tech, where they've got some individual talent this year, three all-league guys, and you know, their, their fans are, oh, we're going to be great this year. And then they went out, and I think Ole Miss scored two touchdowns on like three or four plays and put up 47 on them. So, but, oh, same old Texas Tech. Good know. old Texas Tech. <laughs> well, and Brett, you, know, you mentioned the defense and that being the, the new norm there in Starkville. Is that what it's going to take? for Mississippi State to compete with the Alabamas and the Auburns in the conference? Oh, yeah. They need that defense against Auburn for sure. Auburn's defense is awesome, and their defensive line is awesome, as they proved when when they beat Washington week one. So they're going to need that defense to stand to both Auburn and Alabama, no doubt. I think that's a fair observation, especially Alabama if Tua ends up being the guy there. That would introduce a legitimate downfield passing attack there for the first time in probably three years. So Alabama adding things is just kind of scary, but that's where <laughs> we are in football now, I, I guess. The rich get richer, it's unfair. Yeah. You know, we talk about the defense, but just overall, Mississippi State had a pretty nice run with with Dan Mullen. So, Brett, before you ran him out of town, you feel like right. how much did he raise expectations for this program? Yeah, he, he absolutely did. I think, uh, I mean, they're, they're pretty – the fan base is – pretty freaking mad at Dan Mullen right now because of the end. He pretty well mismanaged the final quarter of the Alabama game. That could have very well been a loss for Alabama. And a lot of people say he was checked out of the Egg Bowl loss. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. of how Dan Mullen left. But not everything was bad about how Dan Mullen left Mississippi State either. So there, there's a lot of animosity in the fan base right now. But I, I imagine that over the years they, they will come to realize that Dan Mullen did things for this program that have never been done before. And it'd be, I mean, I have, I have a lot of faith in Joe Moorhead, let the record show. I think this is going to be a successful experiment, but just based on the realities that are Mississippi state uh, university 
and, and its football program, it's easy to see how what Dan Mullen did here was considered to be impossible before he actually did it. He, he genuinely raised the profile of Mississippi State. I mean, they didn't have seating in either end zone when Dan Mullen got here. They closed in one end zone while Dan Mullen was here. They've got this huge football complex on, on one side of campus that happened while Dan Mullen was here. The, the end door is not up to the SEC standard, but they have one. And that's incredibly important as well. Now, part of that is SEC network money, right? That certainly helps. But you wouldn't invest in those things if Dan Mullen wasn't winning and winning more than Mississippi State generally does. And I think that that, that's a a fair observation that I I agree with. I think Dan Mullen has – I wouldn't be surprised if 30 years from now, Mississippi State is a little bit better than what is currently their historical norm we can look back on it and say, damn, Mullen changed Mississippi State forever. That wouldn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, if only in case they could find a coach who could raise their profile program like that. I know, I know. Yeah, right? uh, <laughs> y'all are just one higher away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all it takes is one guy. Maybe maybe even bring him back a second time. Yeah. If, if, if something goes wrong once he leaves. Mm-hmm. You just need that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so you're saying that, that Joe Moorhead is not Ron Prince? Uh, that is exactly what I'm saying. I will. I've never been more confident of anything in my life than, than saying Joe Moorhead greater than Ron Prince. That is a mathematical that I'll get tattooed on my body. I am that confident of that. I mean, I think we can probably go ahead and say that maybe like the equation starts to balance out of like David Beatty equals Ron Prince. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ron nope. Prince is probably still better. Golly, no, that was so bad. What what Kansas did week one? Yeah. Well, you know their next best shot is when they play Texas. So it's yeah, okay. That's true. They still have another shot at the win. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Cause, so, Brad, would you say Texas is back? I would. Not, I would not say that. Uh, they were they were coming back, and then they decided to not be back. That was uh, that was disappointing for me. I was I was really looking forward to a. Uh, a good Texas back troll until they they met Oklahoma and Red River and, and got off the field by who is soon to be the greatest Oakland A of all time. <laughs> but that's uh, I guess I'll have to I'll have to wait for that meme to come alive. It's great though because we we just got a Texas grad on the beat at another paper here in the state, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And so one thing, um, you kind of mentioned the. The seniors on defense, and of course Nick Fitzgerald's a senior, and there's some other guys. So obviously Joe Moorhead started with a cupboard full here. You know, after this, is he going to have to prove he can recruit? Maybe do a little bit of a rebuild? What's the sense there? Oh, absolutely no. That's that's a good observation. This is this is kind of one year for Joe Moorhead to build up some equity with this fan base. They aren't they aren't falling flat off the face of the earth quite yet. They've got a couple of good offensive pieces and defensive pieces too that will be back after this season. But the current recruiting class is very important for Joe Moorhead. They're off to a really good start, uh, not only in terms of replacing uh, or filling holes that the next couple of years will provide, but also in the event that, that Joe Moorhead is here for four years or longer. I mean, there's a big narrative out there about a, a northern guy coming to the south and recruiting, and he, he brought some guys from, from Penn State with him 
So there's a lot of northern guys on, on this staff that haven't done a ton of coaching and or recruiting in the South. So so this class is big for two reasons. One, and if I may interject my opinion, I think all of that is absolutely ludicrous. Uh, <laughs> so this, this 2019 recruiting class is, is important for two reasons. One, you're right, there there is a lot of really important guys that are going to be coming off the roster after this year and after the 2019 season, but also to kind of just prove any recruiting doubters incorrect that the staff can actually recruit in the state of Mississippi and hit the right spots in Alabama and Memphis and Louisiana to continue building, as, as Joe Moorhead would put it, a championship standard roster, taking a roster from good to great. Yeah, well, it's tough in Louisiana because he's got to compete against Kansas. David Beatty's got that pipeline going. So. That's right. You don't, you don't just walk into New Orleans and walk out of there without <laughs> dealing with the, You don't just walk into New Orleans and walk out of there without dealing with the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, uh, I guess before we let you go and, and ask you to make a prediction here, uh, I did read that that Moorhead actually had a Bill Snyder influence, and I mean, I guess everybody does to some degree, probably. But he he learned. I th- what I read is he learned some of his offense from an assistant way back in the early days, uh, Cortaro or something like that. So I just wondered, has he said anything about that this week? What you know, what has he had to say about about Bill Snyder and the influence he might may or may not have had? Uh, he he didn't bring up Bill Snyder's influence in in his Monday press conference. He did say that he's looking forward to coaching against a, a coaching legend. He said when when the stadium is named after you, you've clearly done a pretty good job. That's probably a fair yeah. assessment of the situation. Yeah. Uh, Average at best. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'll get to drive in on Bill Snyder Highway too. So. Oh, how about that? <laughs> oh, I look forward to driving it then. No, he he didn't mention Bill Snyder. Influence, but Joe's career is, is kind of funny. He's he's bounced to a lot of different places, worked for a lot of different people. He's he's kind of one of those people who. So he he uh, after his playing career at Fordham, he went and played in Europe for a year or two. So he came back from that and worked some some stopgap jobs, and eventually got into coaching. So he he definitely had some influences, and there. Quite obviously, pieces of other people's offenses within his, but he isn't the kind of coach who is what his mentors were and are. Uh, he clearly came back from Europe and from his kind of very few short months outside of the coaching ranks with an idea of what his offense was going to be based around and how he was going to do things. And if given the opportunity, and he's clearly adapted that, as as y'all mentioned. But I think he's I mean, I hesitate to use this word in this day and age since almost every school, Kansas State excluded, almost every school is kind of copycatting each other in, in different versions and adaptations of the spread. But Joe Moorhead is, is <coughs> that's the word I don't try to use when describing college football offenses. He's truly unique in what he does. And I think, uh, I think Kansas State will, will see that on Saturday. Yeah. Well, Casey, you might have anything else before we talk about predictions? It sounds like Casey's going to have their hands full this week, much more so than maybe I would have expected leading after this, you know, prior to this South Dakota State and then prior to talking to Brett. But yeah. it'll be maybe an uphill battle, but it be, should be good. should be fun. Big name, ranked opponent coming into Manhattan, Kansas early on in the season. That's uh, that's outside the norm for Bill Snyder and yeah. scheduling. So it's yeah. good to see. should be fun. 
and, and we talked about this before the podcast, but just hopefully, you know, K-State's smart enough to ban cowbells. Yes. No <laughs> cowbell. No more cowbell. So, uh, Stadium. You don't have a fever for which the <laughs> prescription is more cowbell? Is that what you're saying? No. No fevers in, in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, that whole thing. So they play that before I get to the prediction. They they play that SNL skit on the jump on at, at games. Oh, I've got a fever thing, and, and <laughs> I watch it. I'm just disgusted because I'm like, who in their right mind has ever had a fever and wanted cowbell? That never <laughs> happened to Earth for 26 years, and never have I had a headache. That would have been cured by cowbell unless I wrote the word cowbell on my ibuprofen. That is the only way. Oh, these are things that drive me crazy. Welcome to this window into my brain. <laughs> yeah, right, there you go. Well, good news—you won't have to watch that during this weekend's game. That's true. That's true. I'll get the Bill Snyder hype train. I'm sure that's a very progressive. Yes, but there is a there is a literal train. That you will see. Yeah, we, we do have a train. <laughs> so, oh, it played to crazy train. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> yes, of course it and is. And proud of the house we built. <laughs> going, going a little, little early, late two thousands country music <laughs> to get you hyped up. Oh, so many canes. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, with that, Brett, you wanna you wanna give us a prediction on this one? Definitely a Mississippi State win. I'm still kind of pulling around with. With the final score, you know, when when the line came out, there was something like a touchdown. I think a lot of Mississippi State fans were absolutely incredulous. Like that line <laughs> is ridiculous. The crap out of those people. I have a little more respect for Bill Snyder, 11 a.m. weirdness yeah. in in Manhattan than than most of the Mississippi State fan base us. But then again, they aren't really exposed to much Big 12 football of, of their own accord. So I can I can see why they wouldn't have as much respect for that. I, I don't think it's going to be a 30-point blowout that some Mississippi State fans are expecting, maybe something in the 17, 14, 17-point range for Mississippi State. I do think they're going to put points on the board, mm-hmm. though, just because there's a lot of tough matchups athletically on, on this Mississippi State offense, and I think everybody is going to struggle to hold that down for 64 minutes. Yeah, and that's something that when you play walk-ons, athleticism is not the first thing that jumps out. <laughs> Try hard, baby. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, I, I imagine that will rear its ugly head. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, I, I'm, I don't think I was the only one to, to mention that last week. So in 2011, of course, K-State barely beat Eastern Kentucky 10-7 to and went on to have a a 10-win season, so, you know, stranger things have happened, but I don't see that happening this season after week one. You mean Arthur Brown's not walking through that door? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think he is, so. <laughs> but we will see, uh, but we, we hope you have a good time in Manhattan, regardless, Brett, uh, make sure you check out Aggieville. Check, it, check out Tallgrass Brewhouse, you gotta check that out, yeah. since they don't distribute anymore, it's true, it's you can only sad. get it there in Manhattan. So at least that's the benefit of the 11 a.m. kickoff, right? You can enjoy your yeah. evening in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm, I'm staying in Kansas City, so I'll, I'll have to get back eventually. But, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to getting getting my work done and 
in the afternoon and, and hanging out in Lawrence and in Manhattan for, for a little while. Man, Lawrence is in between Manhattan and Kansas City, right? Yeah. Right, but it's yeah. it's Saturday during college football season, so nothing's happening there. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Actually, don't they play at Central Michigan this week? So, like, they do. literally that nothing's cool. happening. Yeah. So there definitely won't be anything happening. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the tour day Kansas. <laughs> And hopefully uh, some of y'all's fans can do the same when Kansas State comes to, to start Vegas next year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, Brett, we, we appreciate you joining us. You know, um, and we, we've come a long way from doing the Louisiana High School podcast. Now here we are talking about yeah. Yeah. Ain't that Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, the right mind gave us this platform, what we're uh, – but I, I appreciate y'all – Y'all having me on, and um, y'all, if y'all need anything in the future, especially next year, just let me know. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks, bro.